Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. Our series on the book of James, entitled Walk This Way, continues this week as we are led by our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. Pastor Jared will be preaching on submitting to God out of James chapter 4. If you have missed any of the previous messages in this series, or you just like to go back and listen to them again, you can do so on the Christ Church app, which is available on Android and iOS devices, on our website, ccgf.org sermons, or on our YouTube channel. And you can always catch up with us on all of the usual social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, under the handle ccgf01. Now, here is Pastor Jared with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for the songs we just sang. Lord, that we can be in your house singing your praises. Lord, we do give you so much praise and glory for what you've done for us. Lord, that you died for us. That you're alive. That you rose again. That you're with us. Lord, thank you for drawing near to us when we need it. Lord, you've never said this life would be easy, but you did say you'd be with us every step of the way. So I pray that we feel that presence here and now. Lord, I pray that you speak through me. I pray that my lips are your heart. My lips are your lips. My heart is your heart, Lord. And you do impress upon us the message you want us to hear from James. I thank you for James. And how we can walk this way. Be with us, Lord. And that we, as we leave this place, we won't just be hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, my name is Jared Ott. And uh, it's, if you've been with us, you know we're in this series called Walk This Way. It's a great series uh, because we go through life and it's not easy, is it? And this week we come to that passage in James about submitting to God, James 4. You know, submission is not an easy thing for us to do, is it? Especially as we get older. We don't want to submit. In fact, we... Uh, we often look at authority like, I know better, don't we? There was a captain of a ship, true story, looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately he told his signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Prompted a return message that was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command and authority had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman, third class, Jones. So the captain sent a third message. Knowing the fear that it would invoke, he said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. We go through life, don't we? And we think that we know better, don't we? We think that we know the right way, that we've lived a certain life, that we've gotten to this point where you've got a good job or we've got a good marriage or whatever it is that we don't want to submit. And James, when we get to James here today, we realize, you know, God really wants us to submit, doesn't he? It's so wonderful to be able to have James. We've been in this series for the past few, few weeks. We're kind of wrapping it up over the next month and It's a hard series because it really hits us in the face. All of us are dealing with certain things in life. And this passage, this book, talks about how we deal with that every single step of the day. Every single day. How we deal with life. How we deal with life. Some people don't want to talk about James because they think it's too hard, too legalistic. I think, man, James, we need James more than ever, don't we? Because it tells us how to live out our life. You know, we go through life and we, uh, we often think that we could do it our way. 
all week it reminded me of the song, what? I'll Do It My Way by Frank Sinatra. Now, I'm not a singer. Uh, Brad told me never to sing on stage. So instead of uh, singing that song, I'm going to play that song. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song, Frank Sinatra. You'll recognize it. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Now, if John Gesser here, he would sing that song for you. But I'm not John, nor do I uh, have his gifts. But that's a song we all recognize, don't we? I did it my way. Frank Sinatra sang that song to the latter part of his life. And this week, I kept thinking, you know, I did it my way. That's what we want to do when we talk about submission. I, I, I'll do it my way. So I thought, I, I wonder how that worked out for Frank. So I did a little research on Frank Sinatra. What I found out was that Frank Sinatra was uh, clinically depressed most of his life. Do you know that Frank battled alcoholism quite a bit of his life? Frank Sinatra also tried to commit suicide twice. In fact, he, was, uh, he went home and tried to commit suicide by sticking his head over the stove and turning it on. And his, and his manager found him and saved his life. So he says, I did it my way. That song goes on the next, very next word, the very next verse. The first word is, no regrets. Really? <laughs> See, when we get through life, when we try to do it our way, things don't always pan out that way. How many of us have gone through life thinking that we know better and we're going to do a certain thing, a certain way, our own way in life, and it doesn't work? How we treat our family, how we, what jobs we have, how we go through life, how we have control over our tongue, how we deal with temptations, how we deal with problems, anxieties, addictions. How do we deal with those things? We think, I'm going to do it my way. We've all done it. We've all been there. Some of us are, as teens, as we go, we kind of rebel against our parents. We think, you know, my parents don't know anything. Some of your parents are thinking, boy, Jared, preach it to my kids. I hope you lay it into them right now. I didn't have that. I, I, I was not a, a rebel, but I do remember there were some times I thought, nah, the leaders above me, they don't know. I grew up in New Jersey, and I went to a small church, and we had a small youth group. And uh, I remember my youth leader owned a log cabin. And uh, he, every President's Day, we'd go out to his log cabin for our retreat. And at this log cabin, he had this huge hill, massive hill, that we would always do sled riding at night. It was kind of a fun activity. So I remember him telling (laughs) during the day, he said to myself and my my best friend Ryan, he said, hey guys, I need you to go shovel snow onto the hill so it's ready for tonight. And then I need you to make like a soft landing at the bottom so they don't go too far because there's a stream down below. So you need to do that. He said, then do nothing else. Just do what I'm asking you to do. Because he knew what we would have done. So Ryan and I did that. We put some snow on there, and then Ryan said, hey, you know what, Jared, it'd be cool if we put some water on this thing so it's frozen for tonight. So I thought, well, sounds like a good idea. So uh, we went ahead and did that, and uh, we watered it all down. 
And then at the bottom, we made like a soft landing, but we thought, you know, it kind of had a, had a like a little bump. We thought, hey, it'd be cool if it had an actual ramp. Let's make a ramp. <laughs> and uh, so we found some tires and buried the tires and built this ramp. And we didn't tell anybody. So that night, it was real late at night, we brought a truck out and uh, we turned the lights on so we could see the, see the mountainside. And I, oh, I remember full well. I'm walking up the hill, and I, the only thing I remember, literally, I just see this image fly by me real fast. And it was my friend Dan. Dan went down the hill so fast on the first run that he hit the ramp and went over the stream and hit the truck that was sitting there parked, hit the windshield, rolled over and flipped over on the other side. Now, three thoughts went through my head. First thought, I thought, man, I'm so glad I didn't go down that first. It was a very selfish thought. Secondly, I thought, I'm going to have to go visit Dan because he had to go to the hospital. He had a concussion, so I'm going to be a good friend. And thirdly, I thought, man, I guess my youth leader was right. I guess my youth leader was right. He saw a different picture than we did, huh? He saw it a little differently than we did. We didn't submit, and somebody got hurt really bad. And that's kind of what James is talking about here. When we don't submit to God, things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be fights. There's going to be war. People are going to get hurt. And so you really are on this path this morning as you come in and you, we look at James and we go, you're going to follow God or you're not going to follow God? You're going to submit to him in your life or you're not submit to him? Because when you don't, James lines out a whole lot of stuff that we realize that leads to issues in life. Some of us are dealing with those issues in life right now. We think, I've been trying to do it my way. I keep falling flat on my face. I'm hurting somebody. I'm hurting my spouse, hurting my children, hurting my family. I'm not good at work. I've got all these things going on in life. There's a lot of conflict, and that's exactly what James is talking about. When we don't submit to God, when we rebel against God, it leads to all kinds of things. First off, it leads to conflict with others. Conflict with others. Look at verse, if you have your service sheet, James, we just read it, verse 1 of your Bibles, uh, James 4. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Some of you are, fight, some of you are fighting on the way in. Some of you are laughing going, we're going to fight as soon as we get back in the car, too. <laughs> What's causing quarrels and fights among you? There's a lot of things going on in life that we fight with, our, especially our spouses. And I want to talk to spouses for a minute. We, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that we bicker about. I know my wife and I have had our differences in the past. Some of you are bickering every single second of the day. And a lot of people come in and t- talk to myself or Pastor Jamie or Pastor Barry and go, Hey, Jared, I, <laughs> we need you to come in. We need to talk to you. And this is what they'll say. They'll literally say this. We're fighting all the time. What I need you to do is tell my spouse how to act differently. Some of you are thinking that right now. Go, man, Jared's talking to my spouse. Yes, they're going to act differently. Good for them. No. That's what we do, though. We blame other people. There is conflict with others because there's conflict with ourself. And that's what James talks about here. That's the second point. There's conflict with yourself. Look at the second part of verse 1. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have. You covet, but you can't get what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask of God. And when you ask, you don't receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You see, one of the things that we talk about when people come in, people that are fighting and arguing all the time in life, they want, to, they want their spouse to be fixed, or they want their kids to be fixed, or they want their parents to be fixed. And one of the things that we find out is that there's really conflict within. There's conflict within their own self. 
That's why when couples come in for premarital counseling, we talk about, hey, listen, you got to surrender all that stuff. If you're going through anxieties or fears or frustrations, if you're going through addictions, you want to lay that at Jesus' feet right now. Let's be free of that so you can be uh, free and complete and full once you get into the marriage. Some of you who are single right now, you may be saying, listen, I'm tr- I'm, I want to be married. I want to get to that point. I'm, I'm, I'm single right now in life. I'm telling you right now, you need to prepare yourself right now. Prepare yourself right now so that when you get into the marriage, you can have a wonderful marriage. Because James already talks about there's, there's three things that happen there. We have uncontrolled desires. We have unfulfilled desires. And we have selfish desires. Uncontrolled, unfulfilled, selfish. What happens is as we go through life, we think, hey, listen, if I, if I just live a certain way, if I just did a certain thing, then I would be happy. This happens in finances all the time. Somebody, has, somebody in a marriage is coveting a certain thing in life. They want to have a certain standard or a certain amount of savings. And what happens is there's conflict inside. And so then when the spouse uh, is spending money on different things, they get so frustrated and they take it out on them. And they go, listen, they, that's, they're causing the conflict. And it's like, no, the conflict isn't there. The conflict is inside. You're not content with what you have. You're selfish. You have unfulfilled, uncontrolled, selfish desires is what happens. And what James is saying, listen... When you're going to have those conflicts within, you're going to have conflict with others. And when you have conflict within, you're going to have conflict with God. Absolutely. You're going to have conflict with God. And that's the third point. Conflict with God. James 4 says this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means uh, enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend chooses to be a friend of the world, becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he's jealously longing for all the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He gives us more than grace. That's why Scripture says God opposed the proud but shows what? Favor to the humble. You know, I love that if you go back to the, the first verse, it says you adulterous people. You adulterous people. Now people think that adulterous people, when you think of adultery, you think of cheating on your spouse. When you make a commitment to God, those of us that made of a commitment to God, we say, Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive my sins. I want to make you the Lord of my life. We are committing to God. We are making a vow to him. That's why when we do these, uh, uh, we'll oftentimes have a, a time in our services for you to make that commitment to God. You're not praying it to us. You're not praying it to myself, Pastor Jamie. You're praying it to the Lord. It's a commitment you make, a vow you make. As I told you last week, I was at a wedding. Um, up near Niagara Falls, and uh, I love the parts of the vow. You know, uh, weddings nowadays are getting a little different. There's a lot of people wanting to do different things in these weddings. Uh, and I would say, that's great. You could do all these strange things that you want to do in your wedding. One of the things that we need to do is do the vows, right? You got to do the vows. Because the vow, that's what, you're do, that's what you're promising in front of everybody. And what I always do is I always have the couples turn and hold each other's hands. And I use small words because I know they're nervous. And so I say, I want you to repeat these vows to each other. So last week, the, uh, <clears throat> the guys up there, and, and I'll, I'll use different names. I'll say, uh, this is how I usually say, I'll say, uh, I, John, take you, Jan, to be my wedded wife. Right? Well, he's up there, and he's standing there like this, and he's looking at me. He goes, I, John, take you, Jan. I said, whoa, you are not making this vow to me. I appreciate the fact that you want to make the promise to me. You're making it to your wife. So then he was really nervous, and so he didn't want to look at her, so he's looking at the crowd. So he's like, I, John, take you, Jan. I said, stop. I said, it's to your wife. That's the vow you're making. He said, I don't want to, he didn't, he told me this afterwards. He didn't want to look at her because he thought he'd start crying, which he did, and, uh, which is fine. Here's the thing. The vow you're making is to your spouse. Some of you, 
remember your vows. Some of you have been married a long time and you go, I don't exactly remember my vows, but I guarantee you did them. It's a promise you're making. It's a promise you're saying, I'm going to be faithful to you in sickness and in health, till death do us part, to love and to cherish. And what James is talking about here is he's talking to people who said, I've already made a commitment to the Lord. They say, hey, I've, I've already given my life to the Lord. I've already confessed my sin to him. I'm making him the Lord. And now what you're doing by not submitting to him, by rebelling, doing your own thing, you're in conflict with God. That's why it says, you adulterous people. He's talking about a spiritual infidelity. You see, when you follow your own sense, follow what the world's telling you to do, how the world's telling you to act, how the world's telling you to say, and you're not listening to the Lord, what you're doing is you're in hostility towards God. It's conflict with God. And that leads to hostility, disregard, and pride. You see, verse 5 goes on to say uh, this. It says, do you think Scripture says without reason he's jealously longing for a spirit? You see, when people don't want to listen to God, if they say, listen, I'm going to do it my way, then the scriptures really become null and void in their life. There's no desire to read the scriptures. I want to encourage you to be reading James along with us. James is a huge book full of so much information, so much direction in life. And when you don't have God the same, you're saying, hey, God doesn't have anything to say to me. I can do it my way. So there's a disregard for scripture. When people come in and they'll say to myself or Pastor Jamie or Pastor Barry, I want to come in for pastoral counseling. That says that they want scripture involved. They said, that's great. We're going to bring scripture in. But I want to make sure that you have a relationship with the Lord. Because if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you're not going to listen to the scripture we give you anyway. Do you have a relationship with the Lord this morning? Some of you have gone through life and saying, you know what? I've been doing it my way. Kind of like Frank's been saying. And I'm, I'm tired of that. I've been making one mess, one disaster in, one, in my life after another. And I'm tired of it. And I say, you know what? It's wonderful because at this point today, you can make that commitment to say, Lord Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I submit myself to you. Because if you don't, then it leads to pride. It leads to pride. That's why verse 6, he says, he gives us more grace. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That's Proverbs 3.34. He mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. When we get to a point thinking we're going to do it all our own, we get to a point of having pride. And pride is the hardest thing to conquer because we don't think that we need God's help in any area of our life. So what do we do? What do we do is we submit to God. You see, when we submit to God, it leads to all kinds of other great things. We saw what happens when we rebel against God. What happens when we submit to God? Well, first this, it's courage during temptation. It's courage during temptation. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you get to the point of resist, when submitting to God, when temptation comes, and Ed Glover was here a few weeks ago talking about temptation, we're all going to deal with it. The question is, how do you deal with it? You've got to submit to God. Because what you find out is that you're saying, the world, the flesh, the devil, all these things, all these things that my body wants, or the world's telling me I should want... God's saying, I've got a different picture. I can see a bigger picture. I'm the lighthouse. You think that you need something, but I'm telling you, you need something different. You think that you, you, you have these desires and everything. Those are wants. And the Lord's saying, listen, I'm going to give you exactly what you need. That's the temptation. That's what gives us courage because we can fight those fears. We can fight those addictions. We can fight those temptations and say, Lord Jesus, you're in control here. I'm going to have courage during temptation. Not only that... But it gives us comfort through trials. Comfort through trials. Look at verse 8. 
It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. That's one of the most powerful verses that you're going to find because one of the things you're going to see there is it doesn't say come near to God and he may come near to you. Or come near to God and everything's going to change. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. It doesn't say, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'm going to make you win the lottery. Come to me all you are weary and burdened that are sick or have all kinds of issues going on in your life and everything's going to get changed. Come to me, all your weary and burden whose spouse doesn't, spouse doesn't talk to you and everything's going to change as soon as you get in the car. Come to me, all your weary and burden, you've got questions in life and I'm going to answer every question for you. No, come to me, all your weary and burden, I will give you rest. Why? Because you know the Lord's in control at that point. You know that Jesus has you exactly where he wants you to be. If you remember the story in Mark 4, Jesus was with his disciples and he said, let's get on a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples get on the boat and they go across the sea and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat, Matthew 4. And all of a sudden all the storms of life come up and it's churning and the boat's going all over the place. And the disciples get freaked out. And they go down below and they say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and everything calmed down. And the disciples, and he said to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Who was the one who told the disciples to go out in the boat in the first place? Jesus. Who had the disciples exactly where they needed to be? Jesus. Who knew the storms were going to come? Jesus. Who told them to go out there knowing the storms were going to come? Jesus. Who has you exactly where he wants you to be? Jesus. Who knows the sickness that you're going through? Jesus. Who knows the financial crisis that you're going through? Jesus. Who knows the marital problems you're going through? Jesus. He has exactly where he wants you to be. That's the comfort we get. You know, I often went through life, you know, when things happen in life, there's a sickness or there's a financial crisis. People would always say, man, Satan's really trying to get at me today. And I always wondered, why does Satan need my car to break down? Why does Satan need me to have battle cancer in life? Why does Satan need that? Why does Satan need my kids to go off on their own and go astray? Why does Satan need that? Why does Satan need my marriage to fall apart? What in the world could he do with that? Why does Satan need the drugs in the world? He doesn't need any of it. What he needs you to do is get to the point where you're so focused on those things that you lose your trust in the Lord. That's what he needs. Because his desire is to pull you away. That's why it says that be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not devouring your car. He's not devouring your finances. He's devouring you because he's pulling you away from trusting and fully submitting to the Lord. That's what he needs. He doesn't need your broken down car. He needs you to lose your trust in him. Satan didn't need the storms to come up. He needed the disciples to lose their trust in God. And I'm telling you, when we submit to God, we have comfort through trials, knowing that he has us exactly where he wants us to be. Not only do we have comfort through trials, not only do we have courage through temptation, but we have confidence and total humility. Look at verse 10, finally. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We just sang a song here a little while ago about getting on your knees. The Lord cannot lift you up if you are not first down. 
He cannot lift you up if you think you can do it on your own. There's no lifting up if you feel like you're already on your two feet. The only way he can lift you up is you've got to first be what? Down. We think about this with Mary and Martha. If you think of the, remember the story of Mary and Martha, Luke 10. And Mary and Martha got all these people coming over to their house. And Martha's in the, in, the, in the getting all the preparations, whether she's in the kitchen or whatever it is, getting all the preparations. She's frustrated Mary, her sisters, at the foot of Jesus. And she says to Jesus the same thing the disciples said. She's, she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me in here to do all the work? And Jesus says to Martha, 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 only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. What has Mary chosen? Mary has chosen to be at the foot of Jesus. Despite all the issues going on in life, despite all the storms going on in life, that's where Mary was, at the foot of Jesus. Jesus can lift Mary up. He can't lift Martha up if she's already up. She was exactly where she needed to be. Some of us get to the point where we say, Lord, don't you care that I'm going through this stuff? I've got financial issues, marital issues, health issues i got to deal with this all on my own. And what the Lord wants you to do is go, you know what? Get down on your knees so I can lift you up. Some of you need to get to a point where you're going to break, be able to say, Lord Jesus, I can't handle this one on my own. I can't handle this life on my own. I definitely need you. I need a shepherd in my life to help me. It's confidence and total humility. He lifts you up. But you got to get down first. got to say, you know what? I can't do it. I've found in my life the more I give up, the better I feel. Because I know the Lord's there. The more I say, Lord Jesus, I don't know how to deal with this situation in my life, the more I feel resourced to be able to deal with it. That's why the great Erwin Lutzer said, you become stronger only when you become weaker. When you surrender your will to God, you discover the resources to do what God requires. Some of you are trying to do this on your own, live the life on your own, and you're making a mess of it. And you go, I'm trying to do this on my own. The Lord's saying, listen, all I want you to do is bow before me and give it back to me so that I can take it. Because I have you exactly where I need you to be. I want to draw closer to you, but you've got to get down so I can bring you up. I love the fact that David says we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. He calls himself a sheep. In Isaiah 53, it says, we all wandered like sheep. We've all gone our own way. We've all did it our way. We all need a shepherd, don't we? That's who the Lord is. As we come prepare ourselves for our last song, we think about the, the fact that the Lord gives us grace when we need it. Even though we've messed up this life, even though we've been trying to do our own thing, he gives us grace. He comes in and gives us grace and it flows over us like an avalanche. It's not something that we've done, not something that we earn. He comes to us in our time of need. That's what grace is all about. And we need it because we all need a shepherd. You know, I wondered why David always used a shepherd. It's all throughout scripture where I'm, he's a sheep. I need a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I thought, why a shepherd? Why, or actually, why a sheep? Why not something cooler, David? Like a lion or a tiger. He uses a, shep- a sheep. You know why he uses a sheep? Because sheep are the dumbest animals in the animal kingdom. I, I found that out. You want to you wanna find out what dumb is? It's a sheep. You never see sheep doing tricks, do you? I mean, you never see like somebody saying, hey, come see my sheep. Look at what they can do. No, they're dumb. Not only are they dumb, but they're totally defenseless. They have no claws, no fangs, no speed, no agility, no camouflage, no defense mechanism. They're, they're white in the middle of the desert. That's the dumbest thing I can think of. Totally defenseless. But David says they're like sheep. We're like sheep. Why? Because we can't do this on our own. They totally need a shepherd every single day. Do you need a shepherd? 
Some of you thinking, I don't need a shepherd. I'm good. Let me ask you, do you have control over every area of your life? Do you have any anxieties? Do you have any fears? Do you ever doubt? Do you ever give in to temptation? Do you ever fight with your spouse or your children? Do you ever make a mistake? Do you ever try doing something on your own and it doesn't work? If the answer is yes, then you need a shepherd. And that's what our Lord is. He's our shepherd. It says, Lord's my shepherd. I shall, I shall not want. I don't want it, but I need it, don't we? He makes me what? Lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He what? Restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Yea, though I what? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will what? Fear no evil. Because he's with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in front of me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You need a shepherd. The Lord's the shepherd. But we got to realize that we're the sheep. We'll go through life and we think we can do it our way. But Jesus sees a bigger picture. He sees that light in the darkness. He sees a bigger picture of where we're at. And when we commit to following him, when we say, you know, I'm going to do it your way. We stay on that path, don't we? We don't veer off the tube run. We don't crash into the car. We're safe because we did it his way. But it starts with saying, you know what? I'm going to submit to him. That's why as I close, there was a, famous prayer at the meeting of fellowship of Christian athletes huge international ministry and they bring all athletes in from all over the world and they would also often ask people to speak or pray and a lot of times these people would come in and pray at the fellowship of Christian athletes they would have these long prayers lots of scripture but one year they asked Bobby Richardson former New York uh, Yankee second baseman they said Bobby would you pray Bobby came in and gave the shortest prayer ever. But people were in tears after. Because his prayer was, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. That's my hope for you as you walk out of here. That no matter what's going on in life, you submit to God that you can say with full confidence and assurance, dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you, you give us courage during temptation. You give us comfort through the trials. You give us confidence and total humility in the fact that you're in charge. You see a bigger picture than we can see. You're the lighthouse. We're the ship trying to navigate this life, Lord. You see a bigger picture. You have us exactly where you want us to be and you're trying to tell us where to go and you use your scripture. So Lord, I ask that you be with us. Help us to submit to your will as hard as it is. Lord, some of us need to be broken from our pride to get down on our knees so you can lift us up. I pray that they feel that as they leave this place, a peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, I pray that you be with those that may have never have made a commitment to you, maybe have never made that vow. I pray that they recognize right now that they are in desperate need of a shepherd. And if that's you, it's as simple as praying a prayer to our Lord Jesus, knowing that he's here with us, not to me, not to anybody else, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I understand I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask that you forgive me. Come into my life, Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my shepherd. Lord, thank you for loving me and saving me. I want to spend eternity with you. And Lord, I thank you for those that made that commitment to you. I pray that all of us, 
throughout all our days can come to a point of fully submitting to you. And I ask all this in your name. Amen.